Hello and welcome to the Surgical Spirit Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Haider Al-Hakim, the Third Eye Doctor. Pull up a chair and get ready for some candid and uncompromising discussion with experts, innovators, agitators, and influential people from every corner of health and well-being. From inside the hospital to at home in the kitchen, we're leaving no stone unturned in our quest to uncover the secrets of healthier, happier, more successful, and less stressful lives. Thank you so much for joining us, and without further ado, let's meet this episode's guest. Hello, Lorraine. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Hadar. How are you? It's good to talk to you from um, clear over here in the in the United States. Yes, well, it's clear today here in London, and um, we met for the first time a few weeks ago in London uh, through a mutual friend, uh, the lovely Kathy Crock, and uh, we had her on the podcast. I think she was the the second or the third guest, and 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 she's an amazing pioneer, woman pioneer, uh, uh, med uh, medicine extraordinaire. Um, and you're kind of the same thing because you've done so much in your uh, medical career. You know, where do we start with you? Oh, I don't know, but I I will second your your thoughts about Kath Croc. She has become a very incredible mentor uh, for me. Uh, not only in the whole realm of pushing forward patient uh, centered care, but also in pushing forward uh, with novel business initiatives. She's um, a very good networker, which I think is how, which is, again, that's how you and I got connected. It's lovely. Yeah, yeah. So where do we start? Medicine? Dr. Dickey? Wow. Well, let's start um, with a super brief uh, recap of, let's just call it then and now, where then... I was um, a very brash, up-and-coming, uh, young medical executive uh, in an intensive care environment, uh, doing all the right things, trying to be the right person, trying to gain the right skills and position myself to kind of move forward through medical leadership. How's that? Mm. And then in 2011, I had a catastrophic ski accident that changed everything uh, about me and about what I thought medicine was and where I thought I would go in the future. Um, the short story is, is uh, it took about two and a half years of uh, rehab to recover from a spinal neck injury and a, a pretty serious head injury um, in order to get my skills back and become a physician again so anyway after um, um, during that time I was out I was told by many people to just go find something else to do because the injuries I had were so significant I wasn't going to be able to practice medicine again um, I like a lot of people you probably know uh, don't do well being told no and kind of take that as more of a challenge and I really was heartbroken that this career that I loved was taken away from me and I wasn't able to leave it on my own terms. So I did get back into medicine. It was quite, um, 
it took time, and uh, about three years after my injury, I was able to get back into the intensive care unit. Um, and interestingly, a couple of things happened. One, I had this incredible sense of urgency that is hard to describe. Um, I think when you've lost something so profound in your life, there's this incredible sense of, of urgency that time um, can't be wasted. Hmm. So I wanted to do a lot in a short period of time. So I, I, I became a, a medical director, I became a chief of neonatology, and I did that for about 10 years. And through that time, I, I, I finally realized that there was more to medicine than just taking care of patients. Hmm. It was about sitting down and, and listening to them. And one of the most profound things I learned, I think, coming back was a, a mindset about medicine where it wasn't about outcomes anymore, about trying to make sure people lived or died, or the morbidities were minimized. It was really more about trying to make sure the time I had with them was good, mm. the process was good. So less about less married to outcomes, more married to process is probably one of the things I learned. One of the other things that taught me, it, it, that, that time taught me was it was a real privilege to be with people who are in crisis. Um, you know, when you're in crisis, you don't want to invite people into your life. Um, and under these circumstances, you really don't have any these people really don't have any options hmm. but it's many of those turn into times of great joy for families as well so to stand by people through times of crisis and great joy is really an honor and it's not something I went into medicine knowing it wasn't anything that anybody ever told me about but probably existentially has been one of the greatest reasons I want to stay in medicine. Isn't um, there a risk, Lorraine, that, you know, if you are there for the patient and caring, mm -hmm. doesn't that drain you of your energies and of your existence? I mean, did you find a way of sort of reveling in that, in that presence of being caring for them? Yes. Um, I think that's a fear that many of us have and why we don't sit down and talk to people. Mm. I think we think it's going to take something from us. Mm. And I have found just the opposite. I have found that by working through some of these tougher cases, the cases where we don't know outcomes, and every day is a little bit different, if I can find something in that day, in that situation, where I can deliver care, then I can walk away feeling good. So that takes a conversation. That takes a conversation. You know, we're here today. This is a hard day. How can we help you today? And it's quite interesting because you mention, you keep mentioning the word care rather than health. Mm -hmm. So there's more emphasis yeah. on care. Yeah. Rather than the emphasis on health. On health. Yeah. I, I think, now this is, you know, definitely my own personal opinion. But I've been a patient in the healthcare system now since 2001. Um, and I've had a series of operations and a lot of medical interaction with people. And 
you know, I realize that procedures don't always go well. I realize that people are human. But what I don't appreciate is walking away from a situation feeling uncared for, feeling that communication, uh, there wasn't a, a, a mutual understanding of communication. You know, I think care is also, you know, we have a conversation and I walk away and you walk away with the same understanding. Too much, too many times that doesn't happen. And I think there are things that can make that better. But I think also it's asking people what care looks like to them. And that takes a, uh, perhaps some training, but it takes a very short conversation about how is it going? How are you feeling? What can we do for you today? Because that's why, that's why people come, that's why people need care, you know? If people could do things on their own, you know, they would. If, if I could have a, a, a knee replacement at home and I knew how to do it by myself, I would, but I can't. So I know I need the technical care of having that done, but I don't need to walk away feeling like I was just a number. I need to walk away feeling like uh, my family was cared for, I was cared for, that you, that you, you know, that you minimize suffering. These are things that I think people really need from physicians and that we're not very well trained to give. So how are we going to train that, Lorraine? How are we going to do I that? Think, I think we just have to have some honest conversations. Um, one of the ways that we look at that now, and it's, it's interesting that you kind of bring this topic up. When I, was, when I came back into medicine as the chief of, of neonatology, one of the things I wanted to do was to bring a, a philosophy of, of patient-centered care. And we did that, but then we had problems down the road fairly quickly within about four or five months. People were very upset. We couldn't understand why they were upset. And then we, after listening to some stories, we understood that it was a difference in perspective. It was a difference in what you think uh, patient-centered care looks like, uh, Hadar, and what I think patient-centered care looks like are two different things, even for the same patient. And the way to get around that is to ask the patient what it looks like so that we both deliver the same thing in their eyes. And through learning these stories, we actually developed um, some narrative uh, work and we had people actually sit down and write very short, like three minute sort of stories and read them. And we began to understand what some of the barriers were, why this work was so hard. That turned out to be a much bigger uh, project in the long run for me. Uh, we, I did that work for about 10 years, and then I, I left health care to do um, a different fellowship, and I've done some other things. But I've, now I've recently come back over the past couple of years and developed this narrative initiative, the work that we do, the, the work that brought me to, to London with, with Kath Kroc. Um, and now we try specifically to say what are the barriers to care? Why, what are the barriers to being professional? What are the barriers to compassion? What are the barriers to kindness? 
And we do that through story. So I think when you talk about how can physicians learn these things, we find that they learn well by telling their own story, listening to others' stories that they're invested in, other people they're invested in, and then learning that perceptions are different and that perceptions are reality and that emotions matter in healthcare and that emotions trump logic. So we have to take care of our own emotions and acknowledge some of these emotions that are in the room and get to the place of logic where we can have these conversations where people walk away with a mutual understanding instead of just exchanging language. And how do we get over this sort of vulnerability uh, aspect or uh, a corner mm-hmm. in this uh, in this narrative mm-hmm. dimension? I I think it has to be safe. Yeah. I think physicians working with other healthcare providers, uh, physicians working in like the unit that they work in, when you bring those people together, those people tend to be invested in. Uh, an outcome of patient care but when they exchange human stories they become invested in each other as human beings Uh, and that way uh, let me give you an example when I had a new physician come into our practice I would say go to this narrative session for three times out of the next like five months four or five months okay because it happened once a month What we saw happen, well, change management will tell you that it takes a good two to three years to take, to add a new person to a well-functioning team, to get the team completely well-functioning again. You just have to go through different situations with somebody to figure it out. That is so true in any ICU. The nurses, it it takes them to be in a critical situation with a physician to learn to trust how that physician is going to emotionally react, um, because that's huge. Um, Are they going to yell? Are they going to be calm? And technically, can they perform? So you have to wait for these situations to happen. But what we have found is that by putting these people in a group and having them tell uh, or write on a, a, a prompt of, you know, take three minutes and write about, a time with patient care that was very difficult and challenging or alternatively that was uplifting and inspiring they write a very short story and how that physician reads their story because everybody else has to listen now how they read their story what they choose to share and even more importantly what how they reflect on someone else's story how they reflect on the technical partner's story, how they reflect on the nurse's story, the the chaplain's story, um, the respiratory therapist's story. That reflection tells them, the whole group, a lot about who that person is and and how how they handle themselves. They tend to walk out of a session like that knowing each other as people and saying, you know what? that guy told the story about his mom he's a pretty good guy and that story was kind of similar to what happened to me and my mom i'm okay working with that guy and it's not it's it's not a matter of of 
working with that doctor per se. It's I'm comfortable working with that person. Because we're all people who come to healthcare. We all have our reasons for coming into healthcare. We all get beat up in the healthcare system. So there has to be a way for us to learn who each other is, to care for each other. And I do believe that that translates into patients watching us as they do all the time and knowing that if that's the interaction they're having, well, I think my care will be good too. And and do you, do you think this sort of reflection of, I mean, I think there's a lack of kindness and compassion in general in society, <laughs> which is quite a, <laughs> which is quite a sweeping statement. I agree. Um, I agree. And now that we've got artificial intelligence coming along, which, okay, okay, you know, you can have your uh, uh, knee replaced through a machine, which is yeah. great. Correct. Um, but I think that's about the only thing we can get from artificial intelligence. <laughs> it tells us, yes. <laughs> yeah. You're probably right. You know, get your whatever it is. and But that's popular now, isn't it? You know, that's the next big it thing. Is. It is. You know, it, it gets the funding, it gets the political exposure, it gets the, <laughs> the financial exposure and funding. And I think we're going down the pan, as they say here in, in the UK. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, um, maybe I'm going to show my age here, uh, but I do believe that at the core, we're kind and compassionate people, but we get in our own way. Mm. I think if we take a moment and actually study the word kindness and study the word compassion and practice in you know we practice these concepts through storytelling it makes you feel better mm. and I guess at the beginning of my career I was about healing people so to speak which was my definition of healing and at this point in my career I am about healing people but my definition of healing is their definition mm. But I think that takes a lot of time. Um, it takes a lot of experiences, bad experiences, good experiences. It takes a lot of meeting people. It takes risking failure. Mm. I, th I think in the end, you know, we're not that much different than we were a hundred million years ago. Mm. We have emotions that are very powerful profound that need to be recognized and I think when we do that we deliver better care and when we do that to ourselves and our partners we deliver better care and AI was never going to give that to us I don't think no 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 I mean uh, um, we had this discussion before about you know letting go of of your stuff which is influencing everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and so letting go of that and allowing other people to do mm -hmm. their thing. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. Know, give, yeah. Giving yourself permission to to, yeah. to know what's going on for them rather yeah. than just sort of me, me. But obviously there's the emotional side, which is absolutely important. If there is an emotional 
say negative emotional energy going on within you that 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 does have to be released it seriously has to be released but you can't release it on the patient no you can't but where do you I, I I've heard so many stories of people saying you know I, I admitted this patient today I went over here this patient died this patient was going to surgery you know and this patient you know had a very difficult family at the end of my shift I went into my car and I cried because there's nowhere else to do it you go home and your kids are hey mom you look like you had a tough day yeah I, I, I did I I had something really bad happen I'm, I'm really sorry to hear that um, hey can you take me over to the to the to the movie theater I supposed to be there in about 10 minutes <laughs> and that's, that becomes the decompression that we have so I think I wish medical administrations understood that it's really incumbent upon them to decompress people who are having these people they hire who are going through difficult experiences so it doesn't just build up like another rock in your backpack so you keep carrying these around you keep carrying these around there needs to be there needs to be some ongoing decompression there needs to be and acknowledgement that collateral damage happens when you work in healthcare, mm-hmm. and that's the stuff they never tell you about so part of the work that we're trying to do by getting these stories these opportunities for people to tell stories is when they talk when they answer it from the challenging side they do get to vent they do get to drop a rock out of their backpack they get to decompress to the and over time, what we have found is there were there are fewer rocks, and when they come back to tell stories, they answer it from the appreciative side, and then they get remoralized. But I think you can't just go in and remoralize a workforce. I think you have to allow them to, you know, acknowledge their own suffering, acknowledge the fact that this job is really hard, acknowledge difficult things that have happened, and validate that, and then say that's okay now are you now you're at a place where you can accept change let's put some new changes in and let's talk about how to make that happen so in a positive way so this this constant history of getting beating getting you know beaten up all the time uh, is um i don't know is alleviated to some degree yeah and you know as you know Lorraine you know it is a continuous process it's not something that you can just do once and then you're fine and and you know everything's okay it you know it is a continuous uh cycle of uh of decompression and of storytelling and I love storytelling Mm -hmm. and that's what it's about really we love stories when you go to it when you go into a bar to meet somebody, we don't talk about facts and statistics. We talk about stories. <laughs> you know, when you go to a party, we talk about stories. These are gateways for people to uh, to to change. They're gateways for people to appreciate. There's a different uh, perspective. It's so. So, g- g- given that we're coming towards the end of the podcast, yes. g- g- give yeah. us a nice uplifting story yes. for, for, for us to finish. A nice uplifting story to finish. Um, I'm just trying to think of one that was written recently in one of my uh, 
if you'll give me, if you've got a second, I'll read yeah. you one that I think is was actually written by a community member, uh, a 17-year-old, which I thought was fabulous. And it is right. It's I. It's it's the one on our website. It's the one I just put on our website. What's your website called? Uh, the website is called uh, the Narrative Initiative. Dot com. The Narrative Initiative. Dot com. Okay, you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay, so here's an uplifting story. I was working one day when a man started talking to me. He was an old guy, a Vietnam vet, really drunk. He was interesting to talk to and had great stories with plenty of insight on real life. After talking for 10 or 15 minutes, he had to go, but he said with a tear in his eye to not let life pass by and live in the present because you have to take advantage of the gift that is today. Excellent, excellent. Well, it's it's been an amazing pleasure speaking to you. You know, we 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 could talk for a lot longer actually because you know it is a fairly complicated um, thing to talk about increasing kindness. Yes. <laughs> and, yes. Uh, we could talk and, again about that. Absolutely. And compassion within within uh, mm -hmm. within healthcare mm -hmm. and but the main thing is it's about the care and not necessarily mm -hmm. about the health. Right. There How can go. people get hold of you? Yeah. What's what's the best way, Lorraine? The best way to get hold of me is um, L is I have a web. Well, my uh, email is ldicky at thenarrativeinitiative dot com. Excellent. Thank you so much. That's the easiest way. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this installment of the Surgical Spirit podcast. For all the latest in the world of Surgical Spirit, don't forget to follow on Twitter at The Third Eye Doc and catch me on Facebook at the page The Third Eye Doctor. You can visit the website at www.thethirdeyedoctor.co.uk for more information on the work that I do. And please send us feedback and questions and suggestions for the podcast. It's always a pleasure to hear from you. I've been Dr. Haida Al-Hakim, and I'll see you next time.